morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you have made the connection and are with us today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and the goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us that get us thinking, get us talking, get us wondering, get us connected, and perhaps inspired or challenged to do just a bit more because we've made the connection. We are going to do a part two today. Uh, we have had our friend Mark Liebenau, uh join us before, and we've asked him to come back. And we are going to continue on the topic of exploring joy in one hand and grief in the other. Um, dealing with loss. What does that look like? And as we get older, we lose people. Um, and we, we come to grips with our own mortality, as well as wondering, what does it all mean? And why am I here? <laughs> and what is it all about? Uh, so we have today uh, Rick Bernardo, who is my co-host, who has uh, produced this show, has put it together with his ideas and in inviting Mark. Um, Mark, as you may remember, is an author, a poet, an essayist, uh, uh, an essayist. Uh, his poetry's been put to music. He's won uh, the River Teeth Nonfiction Book Award. He's been nominated for two Pushcart Prizes and named a notable essayist by a, a Best American Essay. So we're so glad to have you here, Mark. Hi, Mark. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Now, as I understand it, you two worked together in college on projects, especially one on humor. Tell me more about that. Do you want to start or well, you go ahead, Mark? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Well, we were in grad school and we were, you know, studying a lot of heavy topics like German systematic theology. Yeah. But we were also trying to find a way of responding to uh, the liberation theologies that were coming out and trying to bridge the gap between the reality of people suffering and all these theologies that hold, held so much hope. And we're trying to bring them together. And I think one of the ways we found release from all of this was through improv. <laughs> yeah. you know, Rick, I, 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 could, I could listen to Rick down in the, uh, the, uh, down in the room doing improv on the piano, you know, just playing, playing around with that and letting thoughts come and move through his feelings oh, uh, yeah. and, and showing up. And, and I would be improv, improvising in my writing. Uh, basically, just start out writing and see what emerged. And I think often what would happen for both of us is that we would be guided into having uh, some transcendental moments where oh, something yeah. came from outside of us and just just grabbed us and yeah. took us somewhere. And Mark, um, there was some some of our work dovetailed, like kind of got woven together. Um, to make a long story short, one of the things that occurred to me when we were in graduate school, Pacific School of Religion in Berkeley, was the scariest thing I could think of was doing comedy. I ended up doing music and some uh, – and I told a little story before my music at a little concert and somebody asked where else I was doing my comedy and I thought, uh-oh, I, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't done that really, but that's the – that that would be the next step. So. I started doing that, and I wrote this little essay in the school bulletin called A Serious Meditation on Laughter. And that 
got some usage in and then Mark wrote a book for it, it, that came out of his thesis, his master's thesis. Um, the, uh, what Theology, what was the oh, theology of clowning? Is there fun after Paul? I hope I'm not butchering the title. Um, you got it. Yeah. And uh, anyway, and so we tag teamed on just a little bit of that writing for his first chapter. Uh, we had a lot of the same thoughts about creativity, humor, where that comes from. So, and I'm still catching up on that with Mark now. <laughs> it was an amazing essay that you wrote. I just loved it. And my book was on the, the history and theology of fools and clowns throughout all all cultures and all religions. Yeah. And it was really fascinating. And I look I've got a picture, a photo of you with uh, Robert McAfee Brown, who's a f well known theologian at the time, knew everybody from the Black Panthers to everybody. But it was at our graduation, and you have a multicolored wig on and a clown nose with Robert McAfee Brown. And you're just kind of like uh, just hanging out after the graduation. Yeah. It was really funny. When I went in to defend my master's thesis, all three of the guys in there had on clown noses. <laughs> <laughs> that was moral support, if nothing else. Tell, tell me about... You started to talk about it was almost a um, transcendental moment uh, when you were writing and Rick was playing his music, um, tapping into something bigger than yourselves in order to you know, reflect or discover. T tell me a little bit more about that. I think what we were finding out is that spirituality is not theology. And that to be someone who's fully alive and alert, uh, you have to be open to what's happening around you. you. You just kind of go out the door and see what happens and you respond to it. And I think that that improv nature of life is really what's behind the whole thing. I'm, uh, also, I'm also curious about how humor is healing. But humor sometimes can be really, really hard when you're in that place of either apathy or grief. It, it's hard to wrap yourself around humor. Um, and yet at the same time, the dark humor in coping allows somewhat of a way out. Tell me a little bit about that. It does come back in. After my, my first wife died, uh, it was dark humor. Uh, that was was poking its way through the gloom. And gradually, as the, the grief began to recede a little bit, then I could notice the pleasures around me each day, uh, small pleasures. They didn't have to be large. And, and then I began to enjoy moments and hours, and that just kept on growing. And my, my sense of balance began to return. And where Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I know your sense of balance return. Please finish that, and then I have a, a follow-up for you. And what it was the being able to laugh sometimes mm -hmm. that allowed me to bear the weight of grief. Mm -hmm. uh, because I knew that the rest of my life wasn't going to be bogged down by this heavy weight of grieving someone I loved. But there would also be these times of joy and laughter and dancing and music uh, and food. And it all just kind of balanced 
each other out. And of course, grief is not going to disappear, which I think is one of the fallacies. Mm -hmm. We expect that in time, grief will just go away. The thing is, we will always love the person. So we will always grieve their loss. But we learn to live with that. Thanks, Mark. And, and in, in my, my subsequent writing on, on comedy and ethics, um, I keep seeing one thing over and over that resonates with what you're saying, and that's it. Context is everything. So something funny in one situation for one person is not going to be the same f for another person in another situation. That's why a room full of people all together in stand-up comedy, you kind of have a, a, a collective agreement that evolves. But life isn't always that way for that kind of call and response. Um, that's why I was fond of saying that graduate school with people like Mark, for me, was like the old MASH television show. A lot of good people doing important, serious work with a good amount of partying and cross-dressing. <laughs> the, the, the humor that you were talking about that I was going to have as a follow-up, um, it changes, doesn't it, from the dark humor to – but still – kind of playful. I mean, there's a, a playfulness that you can have in humor when you've worked, when you are either working through grief or you have worked through a lot of the, um, the pain that comes with grief. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, it does get a lot easier and, and lightens up. There's anytime we're going through an extremely stressful situation, uh, humor can really help us get through it. And I just want to mention uh, something about prostate cancer. Which, which normally is isn't something thing. that you think yeah. of as something. So speaking of comedy. Yeah. Filled thing. with humor. <laughs> yeah. Most people, or most men, when they get prostate cancer, it's the type that, you know, the doctors will watch it and they say you'll die of something else. Mine is more aggressive. And if it's not treated, you know, I'll be dead in one to two years. But it is treatable. Okay, so I've got this. I've been going through all these tests and scans and getting the results and trying to deal with all the stress of this. And then, and then um, I, Rick came to mind. Not, not Rick's prostate, no, but of his, his stand-up comedy stuff. And uh -huh. I thought, well, maybe I could do uh, something like a prostate comedy hour. <laughs> oh, because yeah. <laughs> that's funny, huh? So, It'll draw uh, a certain crowd, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so later on this month, I start radiation. But uh -huh. right now I'm on hormone therapy, and which can have a whole variety of side effects. Now, the only side effect I know of that I'm having right now are hot flashes. Oh, my. So you got to experience how much fun those are. <laughs> so I'm in menopause. Oh, my goodness. And, and when I tell my female friends about this, they momentarily seem pleased. Yes, I, I went through that moment just now. There you go. <laughs> it's your apologize. turn. Speaking, speaking of comedy relief. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then they act as if it's some kind of divine gender retribution. Ew. And I can see I can see them smirking. Every single one. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I bet your your female listeners out there are smirking too. I I, I would guess they are. Uh, the ones that have had the pleasure and joy. I'm sure of, it's with love of, of menopause. Yeah. Um, embrace us. It's time <clears throat> you get to be embraced by by that joyful opportunity. We encourage kind smirking. Yes. 
kind smirking only. Generous smirking. Well, with that, with that, I, I think this that is a good place <laughs> to put a pause and make sure that you're okay. Any and, kind of pause. Uh, menopause. <laughs> women pause. Yes, that, that pause. Um, and we'll come back and we'll continue our conversation with Mark and um, making sense out of loss. Uh, and we'll talk more about that. So stay with us. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. And this week, we are exploring joy in one hand and grief in the other and humor, how it weaves a lot of that together. Uh, My co-host is Rick Bernardo. Welcome, Rick. Hi. Good morning. I'm Rick. And your friend Mark (laughs) Liebenau is joining us, who is a poet, an author, an essayist. essayist. I, don't want to, I keep mispronouncing essayist. He, he writes great essays, okay? Yeah, that too. And gets awarded for that them. Too. They're fabulous. Uh, at our first segment, we, we dealt a little bit with humor uh, and menopause, interestingly enough. Um, and in this <laughs> segment... Yeah. With we're, Mark. We're, we're going to look at making sense out of loss. Um, what does it mean? Uh, how does, how does as we get older, we have more of our friends and family um, leave us? And what does that mean for ourselves? And, and, and also losing the future that we hoped, I think, is hard. It's not just it, you may still be able to love the past, but then there's the, what you hope to have um, is taken away. And, and that, that requires healing as well. So in our uh, looking at loss, um, I'm going to start, Rick, with you sharing about your own loss that you had recently um, with your friend and how you're making some sense out of that. Well, sure. And and one reason I I really wanted to sit with Mark a little more is uh, the loss I had in my life isn't – it's not that Mark's spouse died when she was – when in in her 40s, right, Mark? Yes. Yeah, I was – and that's, you know, I can't imagine what, what that was like. This is different, but it still has me in a new chapter. I can I just feel it in my bones, in my gut. Um, I have a friend, uh, Jeff, that I met seven years old. My uh, father had just been hired as the uh, – with WNLC radio. I don't care if I was doing it in their morning or their evenings. But – and I go outside to the street, and there's these kids on bikes, and that's where you make friends. And so I met Jeff Simpson, who lived two houses up. And uh, I've known Jeff ever since. And we, especially the year before we went to high school, uh, that summer, we became fast friends. And we went to different high schools, but we stayed the best friends the whole time, went to college together. And in that period, he dated Val, and we were inseparable all through high school, all through college, and she just passed away about a month and a half ago, and suddenly. And I am just uh, in a new place, I know. Uh, it's different uh, for everybody and different from Mark's situation, but I really feel like I am called to respond in some way. I'm being in touch with Jeff Moore. Um, they're all back in Connecticut where I grew up. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to just – I'm just being sensitive and listening, uh, Mark. And I'm also remembering that when I physically 
do something, it has me in touch with my feelings. Uh, the only way I know I'm sad is like I feel it. And it's, I have all kinds of thoughts, but I'm looking for ways to have energies move. So uh, I'm just wanted to compare notes with Mark on and that kind of a, how do you tune into that? Well, with the feeling stuff, you, 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 you need to sit with them and listen to them and see where it takes you. Uh, and it's not just sitting down and give it a minute and see where things go. It's more of sitting with it with uh, half an hour, maybe even an hour, just to see what wells up and, and let your thoughts just kind of free flow through and see where it leads, what it connects to. Don't try to direct it. Just see what brings up from your roots and what one feeling will lead to it will be another. When I went to Yosemite, and we may talk to about this later on, uh, I would, after Evelyn died, I would go for a week and I just go off and hike on the trails mm -hmm. and I wouldn't see anybody, but I had all these hours of unstructured time with nothing to think about where the, the grief could come up on its own is the specific thing that it wanted me to focus on that day. And then I would think it over as I went down the trail. For, and I'd go off for 12 hours hikes. Wow. So I had a lot of time. And just see where it leads, see what it brings up. And grief really is a labyrinth. It, it's not a straight line shot. It, you got to wander around it. Wow. When you had something come up for yourself that you were able to just think on, for that day, those 12 hours, something would come up and, and you knew that that was something that you wanted to focus on. Could you give us like an example of what that might be that you pondered on that came up for you? Uh, one of the, well, the, there's a host of big, sure. big questions uh, that came up. You know, what's the afterlife like? Uh, how does nature deal with its own grief? Um, like a family of raccoons mm -hmm. when the mother gets killed. Uh, how do they deal with it? And I watched watched a family of raccoons where the, the mother had been hit by a car and her little uh, kids were gathered around her. And they stayed for maybe about 10, 15 minutes uh, around her body. And then they just went into the woods. Mm. So they so take it in. To... They take it in and then move on in their own way. Yeah, yeah. They realized that something had changed and they need to get on yeah. uh, and keep themselves alive. Uh, another thing was, what was my life going to be like without Evelyn in the picture? With her dying in her 40s, we had a whole future planned out. And suddenly that was gone. It's like, well, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. uh, what do I hope for? What do I dream about? Because every dream I had involved her. It, so that took a long time. It, it wasn't just one hike, but that was more like months in figuring out. One wow. one of the things that struck me when you say that is a movie that I just loved, What Dreams May Come. Um, and it's, it's about uh, someone who gets hit by a car, dies, and goes to heaven. But as you watch the movie, you realize the heaven that he's in is the artwork that his wife has created. And it's a search, search for meaning in terms of connecting back with his wife, who unfortunately after he's killed in an accident, she commits suicide. So they have to you know, create this 
afterlife adventure. And it's all inside of a piece of art. And what I love about it is it, it, it's a sad story, but it comes together beautifully. And it's the idea about connection and, and what does it mean? And the next life, you know, is there one? You know, is there one that we create for ourselves for being able to have an opportunity to have a purpose and learn something? Is is there a purpose to why we're here and what the journey shares with us? And it, it, it occasionally comes to me as sort of an interesting is life just is life heaven is life this is it no nothing more um is there a purpose that that we have created for ourselves to journey through and learn it, it's all part of not knowing and maybe that's part of the magic of it too every day we go out the door and discover what's going to happen and what mm -hmm. the day is going to be like and what i had to find out something to live for mm -hmm. evelyn mm -hmm. was such a, a part of what I had always planned that I was living for her basically. And then without her, I had to find something that generated my passion and my interest and, and, and get me to get up in the morning. And that took a while to find. And we'll talk more about that in our next segment. We'll be talking about how nature helped give you a path for discovery. So stay with us. We'll learn more from Mark and his journey uh, and how nature uh, is a healing force for ourselves. The road is long And seeming without end The days go on I remember you, my friend And though you're gone in my heart's been emptied, it seems I'll see you in my dreams I got the old kids Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. And today our topic is exploring joy in one hand and grief in the other, how we deal with losing those we love. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host, and our co-host is Rick Bernardo, and he has brought his friend Mark Liebenau to join us, who is an author, poet, and writes wonderful essays. Yeah, and joyful. <laughs> and that introductory song was Bruce Springsteen, who uh, in his concerts around the world lately has been ending every concert with thoughts about friends and family who have passed away. And that song is called, I'll See You in My Dreams, where he's singing, and though you're gone, and my heart's been emptied, it seems, I'll see you in my dreams. You know, I, I found a passage from um, one of your essays, uh, Mark, that I would love to share. This is um, dealing with your, your wife. Um, and, and the essay that this comes from is the Walking West with a Mountain. And in it, you say, Evelyn died unexpectedly 18 months ago in her 40s. And I've been coming to Yosemite as often as I can to let nature help me deal with grief. And for the most part, I've worked through the flood of emotions, although anger and despair occasionally flare up. Apathy is my concern now. Every dream I had has included Ev, 
And without her, I have no goals, and I drift through the days not caring about much, even my own safety. Even after paying close attention to grief over the last year, much of it is still a mystery to me, like galaxies of stars and constellations above that hold wonder as well as impenetrable darkness. It feels like I've only explored a small part. Tell me about where you were at that point and how you can reflect back now uh, as to how you move through that journey. I think at that point, I was just searching for anything to, to give me a spark to start off the day. And on that hike that you were talking about, two unexpected things happened. I'd been hiking in Yosemite for many years. And I think I'd hiked every trail in Yosemite Valley and around the valley, except for this one that went up to the top of Cloud's Rest. So I thought, well, I've got nothing else to do. Let's, let's set off and, and hike up to the top and see what happens. It uh, Two unexpected things happened along the way. I had been wanting to feel really close to nature uh, over the years. And I felt comfortable being in Yosemite and I felt accepted. But on this hike, I actually felt connected. I, I, it, it was like I could feel the mountain, the bulk of it. And, and I, I had a fenty with the trees and the rivers. And a and rock. They were, and as a rock, as I recall, that you, you, you found the agelessness of that rock. Yes, yes. And how they were all interacting and, you know, with each other and even interacting with the sky. And the other thing was uh, discovering a place on the top of Cloud's Rest where I could sort of uh, commemorate a place where I could leave Ev, where she could always see the Yosemite that she loved uh, and also look over me. Uh, and that wasn't expected, those two things. I did not know they were going to happen. I just wanted to do the hike. Wow. And let let it just um, guide you. And Mark, 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 is that the walking west with a mountain? Is that what we're recounting here from the mm -hmm. Under the Sun Literary Journal? Right. That's recently right. published in May on Under the yeah. Sun Literary Journal. All right. right. There's that, another. That's available. You can read it online. Yeah, it, yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, another passage that I liked is uh, a friend of yours is Molly, and it says Molly says Coyote is my spirit guide. Uh, I want to believe this is because she thinks I'm witty like a coyote. But it's probably that I've become too serious, and she wants me to lighten up and play again. So whenever I see a coyote, I pay attention and listen for instructions. Tell me about the coyote, because I have my own sort of uh, smile and, and, and thoughts on the spirit guide coyote. It's very Native American to... Uh, have believed that the animals are here to teach us and they bring us gifts, they bring us medicine. So what does the coyote mean for you? Well, I, I love what we were talking about before we went on the air. So mm -hmm. if I miss something, please <laughs> go ahead and add it. Sure. I, I love I love that the, the coyote is humorous, and, but also uh, play, uh, serious. serious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as you said, they they tend to cut through illusions mm -hmm. and get to the truth of the matter. 
they they brook no fools. Although fools are good. <laughs> you wrote about uh, that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a different kind of fool. Uh, they just have seem to have a balance in their life. Uh, I, I mean, I could see them out in the meadow chewing on voles, and and they will take down fawns and you know older deers and all mm. that. But they just have a a family awareness about them. And one time I was up in Tuolumne Meadows in Yosemite and I could hear a coyote howling at noon and I knew it was howling for its mate mm. because he's just missing it. And it was just a mournful sound. Uh, what I think uh, uh, in terms of comedians though, uh, Robin Williams had that same ability to cut through illusions and get to the truth of the matter. And sometimes the way he spoke about things was hard for some people to hear, but, but he, he really cut through all of the, the barricades that we put up to protect ourselves from reality. In the heart of the coyote medicine, it's a balance between wisdom and playfulness. And it allows you to explore sometimes dark places um, in a playful way uh, with jokes and and trickster and being adaptable. But as you said, it, it, the coyote's teachings for us is to reveal the truth behind the illusion and chaos. Right. That's, that's great. Well, speaking of, you know, what's an illusion and what's not, uh, we were talking about, uh, we touched on afterlife and the question of like what, it's such a mystery through all of human history, personally and collectively, to go, what? happened this person was here and then now they're not what is that and it's just stumps us um a big thing a big topic is like is there an afterlife what is that like um and i just uh, always for always not forget william sloan coffin's words that there's really not a lot in the bible that tells us much about any of that and, and he's, his sense of it was that it's kind of like hand gliding, that we're just off in, on uh, uh, sailing on the winds of, of love in some other way. But we don't know, you know, for us alive, it's hard to, it's hard to be with. And, you know, Marco, I know you had touched on that as a part of your ongoing journey. Yeah, it, uh, there was, I hadn't really thought that much about the afterlife. I tend to yeah. focus on taking care of people in this world, you know, the suffering and all that, Yeah. Uh, which is, I think, the, the Jewish philosopher Maimonides, that was his view too. But I did have th uh, a couple of experiences in Yosemite that I can't explain, huh. uh, which makes me think there's more to the afterlife than I was giving it credit for. Tell One me more. I was, I was sitting out in the meadow at, at sunset, uh, which I like to do. It, it's very pretty to do that. Mm -hmm. And the sun was the sunset was just a really nice canary yellow in the sky. It was it was just beautiful. And on a whim, I just asked Ev to let me know she was okay wherever she, wherever she was. And in that moment, the the color in the sky changed blood red. Mm. I mean, at that moment, and wow. after that, you know, I was kind of stunned. And I looked around to see if anyone else saw that, but no one else was around. <laughs> I got back to camp, and one of the persons who 
had lived in the valley for eight years, said, did you see that sunset tonight? I've never seen anything like that here. Oh, wow. so, so there's a couple of things like that. You, you write a little bit about that. I have one more passage I wanted to share. Um, Change is a constant in nature, even in mountains made of granite. Creation was not a one-time event. It's going on now as much as it ever was. Every catastrophe, every scene of destruction opens the way for something new to begin. It's the cosmic dance between death and life that has been going on since the beginning of time. A rock slide buries a habitat of hundreds of animals and birds, and a different habitat forms. Fire burns away a forest I love to hike through, and the shoots of young trees begin to rise from the blackened soil and create new beauty. A wife dies unexpectedly, but I don't yet know what will come next. I can continue to hike over the surface of grief for a long time, but until I work with its soil, my landscape will remain buried, burned away, and no new life will grow. And it sounds to me like that, that sun, that sign, if you want to call it that, gave you that new shoot, that new green tree coming out uh, wow. of, of hope. And it gave me the permission to move on. Yeah. Wow. That was okay. She was okay with me moving on. I had mourned her. Well, I sat down. I mourned her basically for 500 days. Mm. And, and one morning I woke up to a bird chirping in the window. And I just had a sense that it was time. So I had a little ceremony that evening in, in the living room and took off my wedding ring. And I started to move on. Mark, but, you know, yeah. 500 days, that's a long time. I was just going to say thanks for letting us know about that. This is all very tender, sensitive, sacred spaces. And as we move through that, you did find new love, and you, you are in a wonderful relationship now. Yes, it was unexpected. I was... Um, some of Evelyn's friends would invite me over uh, through the first year for holidays and family occasions, and sometimes I would go. And they started talking about... Uh, one of their sisters. Uh -huh. And I thought, well, okay, that's fine. I can always use <laughs> a new friend. And eventually, she didn't live in the area, so I never met her until, you know, a year later. And we hit it off, and I said, you know, life is too short to, <clears throat> to wait. Uh, we liked each other. We hit it off. Things were good. I took the leap. And I will leave it with that and a little bit of Bruce coming up, as I understand, Rick. You got This Bruce. is a little more Bruce Springsteen's little... I'll See You in My Dreams. Uh, it's the next chorus. And what's wonderful about your story, Mark, is that you still hold Evelyn in your heart, and you always will, but you also have her permission and your permission and your um, new love to celebrate. And life is too short not to have love. Yes. Too short. I'll see
and swimming without him. Her days go on. I remember you, my friend. And though you're gone, in my heart's been emptied, it seems. I'll see you in my Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and we have been exploring having joy in one hand and grief in the other, how we deal with the loss of those we love. And my co-host, Rick Bernardo, has invited his friend, Mark Liebenau, who is an author, poet, um, writes wonderful essays, and uh, shares his own journey in dealing with loss. Rick, we, we also heard a little bit about Bruce again. That was Bruce Springsteen's song, I'll See You in My Dreams. And he's been ending his three-hour concerts with just him and the guitar and this song on stage, uh, which has the lyrics, And though you're gone and my heart's been emptied, it seems, I'll see you in my dreams. So he's reflecting. As well. Definitely. Yeah. And Mark Liebenau, uh his website, by the way, for everybody, marklebenau.com. So Mark, M-A-R-K, Liebenau is spelled L-I-E-B-E-N-O-W. So L-I-E-B-E-N-O-W.com. Uh, and that's got uh, all kinds of directions and resources, including to his widowersgriefblogspot.com. Uh, and I have one more passage that I love of one of your essays. This one goes back to July 6th of 2016, and it was in the Huffington Post, um, Grief and the Solace of Nature. As I watched nature carefully, I saw how it dealt with grief. Nature mourns its deaths for a moment and then moves on. I also noticed that nature was constantly changing, even mountains made of granite. Rock slides continue to come down and bury trails and animal habitats. Mere Lake fills in with sediment brought down by the river and becomes a meadow. Each spring, the river floods and adjusts its course. Our lives are always changing, too, because people we love continue to die and take a part of us with them. Each loss tears another piece out of the fabric of our universe. Being in nature allowed wonder to come back into my life. Tell me about wonder, Mark. <laughs> uh, I wasn't expecting that question. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, well, being in a place in you know, like Yosemite, it's very easy to be taken up by the wonder because the dimensions of the, the trees, to, you know, 100 feet tall and the mountains and everything, it just overwhelms the senses. But even just walking out the door wherever you live, uh, there's probably a bird out there chirping or, or uh, a nearby uh, a neighborhood park where you can sit and just listen to the sounds of nature go on. Uh, there's so many wonder for things going on around us every day, little things, big things, uh, people smiling on us, to us on the street that we don't know. The uh, I've been amazed, although people aren't wearing masks much anymore, just how beautiful people's eyes are. Mm. And when they were wearing masks, that's all you could see. And you could see a whole range of expressions 
just in their eyes from happiness to sorrow to uh, just just unbridled joy. What I notice in your conversations about uh, dealing with grief and, and going from that place of apathy where you're disconnected, um, it's hard to see those things. It's hard to see the wonder. But it's a journey back to connection, it feels like, that allows you to be able to see the bird or see the smile or uh, take in a sunset in a different way. Um, it's a journey back to connection, isn't it? Yeah. In the, in, for example, in the beginning, uh, all food tasted like sawdust. Mm -hmm. It had no flavors. It had no sense. And I lost 10 pounds in the first week. But gradually you begin to, well, you, you got to continue to eat. So gradually the flavors begin to come back. And there's one time I went to a Chinese restaurant on the way home from work. And I, I had the uh, Kung Pao chicken and the pot stickers and a couple of other things. And it was uh, on that day, all the flavors were there. They just came roaring back. And I was I sat in my chair stunned. It's like, oh, my gosh, hmm. it's back. But that that took time. And that Kung Pao is spicy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it came back and said, hello, I'm here. Uh, I do. I, I love being able to have a chance to talk to you about these things because, I, I, of course, our show is called Connections. It's, you know, what, what gives life in, in, in our connection? What, what brings to life parts of us that um, drift away? And, and how do we get guided back. And I appreciate the work that you do with widows to, and widowers to support that journey back. And I know that's something that you've dedicated your life to now in being able to support that journey. Well, I've also expanded my, my blog to cover the entire landscape of grief. So it's not just mm -hmm. widowers and widows anymore. But gotcha. there's a, a long subject list on the side that you can access <clears throat> whatever you're interested in. Well, thank you, Mark, for being with us today. Um, we, we so appreciate the work that you are doing um, and continue to do uh, and, and how you help us uh, explore our own landscapes within ourselves in terms of where are the spots that perhaps we can open up. And I think your biggest message is it's, it's through love. You know, it's being able to take um, the chance and the risk and the beauty of love. And with that, yes. And I'll see you in my.